If you have your Bibles this morning, and I trust that you do, if you can open with me to two different places, Genesis 1 and Matthew 3. Genesis 1 and Matthew 3. And this morning we are coming back to our Behold series, a series that um, we are continuing our journey um, through the attributes of God. I believe this is the 11th study that we are um, doing or have done, and we have, I think, five more to go after today. And so what we know are that the attributes of God, these attributes are generally a collection of descriptions from the Word of God um, of who God is. An attribute can best be defined as something God has revealed about himself or revealed himself to be. And ultimately, this is not about what we attribute to God. This is about um, who God has revealed himself to be, who he has been from eternity past, who he will forever be. And this morning we come to a very simple subject, a subject that most of you in here have figured out already. It is a subject of the fullness of God or the Trinity um, that we are going to be looking at today. And let me just say this, I, I have spent the last two weeks since I haven't been speaking on Sundays studying um, for the Trinity, getting ready for this, and I feel like I am no further along um, in my understanding of the Trinity than I was two weeks ago. Um, so just more frustrated by this amazing mystery that we have before us this morning. And so just so you know today, we are going to uh, go a little deeper than maybe we normally do. You're going to leave here at times. Your head's going to hurt a little bit today. Um, maybe the, the waters are going to be a little bit muddier today when you leave here. But understand, it is a good thing that we serve a God that we cannot wrap our heads around. So the doctrine of the Trinity has been called the most puzzling doctrine of the Christian faith as well as the central truth um, in our faith. It is a knot of seeming um, contradictions um, that is held together by the belief that what is revealed in the Word of God is absolutely true. The Trinity, when we think about apparent contradictions or just the utter confusion of it, it still sits at the center of the Christian faith like the hub of a wheel. At its core, the Trinity is a way of understanding who God is in himself. And although the word Trinity never appears in the Bible, the teachings or the truth of the Trinity is absolutely revealed um, in the word. From the word of God, we know that God um, that the God we worship is a Trinitarian God. We know that God's way of being God is to be Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit simultaneously from all of eternity. One theologian put it this way, unless we think of God as Trinitarian, we have no knowledge of God at all. Only the word God flutters through our brain, naked and void of meaning. Yet a triune God is the boast of our faith. Samuel Taylor Coleridge said, the doctrine of the Trinity is the idea of all ideas. This truth is priceless. It is incomparable. And as such, all Christian doctrine flows from the reality of it. I think of the words of Tozer from the knowledge of the holy. He says, to meditate on the three persons of the Godhead is to walk in thought through the garden eastward in Eden. And to tread on holy ground. Our sincerest effort to grasp the incomprehensible mystery of the Trinity must remain forever futile. And only by deepest reverence can it be saved from actual presumption. Or in the words of John Wesley, 
Bring me a worm that can comprehend a man, and I will show you a man that can comprehend the triune God. So what we are dealing with today is something that we will never be able to fully wrap our minds around. The mind of man cannot fully understand the mystery of the Trinity. He who has tried to understand the mystery of the Trinity fully has lost his mind. He who has denied the Trinity has lost his soul. So this is kind of where we stand today. And it's easy for us to approach the Trinity like we're approaching a frog um, for dissection. Like we're going to um, place it on the table. We're going to cut it apart. We're going to label all the um, pieces of the Trinity. We're going to explain it all with detached objectivity. But the reality is our God isn't like that. He is other than us. We cannot explain in detail every part of him because he is God and we are not. And his thoughts are still higher than our thoughts and his ways are still higher than our ways. But think about it like this, understanding and experiencing. And don't miss that word, experiencing the Trinity has enormous implications for how we live our lives, how we live in him and how we live through him. Just think about these questions this morning. How much does the Trinity matter to us? Or maybe a better question is how much should the Trinity matter to us? How do we look at the Trinity academically while at the same time applying what we learn within relationships? That's kind of what we're going to do today. We're going to look at kind of an academic um, picture of the Trinity while at the same time we're going to apply what that means to our lives. So let's Dive in this morning and, and see what we can behold from the three in one. So if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we honor God's word. We're going to begin in Genesis. We're going to read verse 1 and verse 26. And then we're going to jump to Matthew 3 and read verses 16 and 17. If you're excited this morning about where we're going, let me hear you say. Amen. All right. So uh, Genesis 1 verses 1 and 26 says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then verse 26, and don't miss these words. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And we will stop there and let's flip over now to Matthew chapter 3. So this picture of us and our. And now look at Matthew 3 verses 16 and 17. Matthew 3, 16 and 17. And it says this, When Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you today. And God, we come before you as a triune God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And Lord, we want to come before you with understanding, but we also want to come before you with, with awe of knowing that, Lord, a God that we can understand is not a God that's big enough to be worshipped. So we just want to just stay in awe of you, but also know that you are, have and are revealing yourself to us. Today we just pray that we would see the applications, academic applications, God, of, of this picture of you as three in one, but also, God, how it can apply to our lives and what it means for us. Father, we are a people who love things that we think relate to us and we turn things off that don't, but 
God, the reality today is nothing, there, there's nothing better that we could study than this revelation of who you are and what that means for each one of us. So God, just open our ears, open our hearts to you. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. So let me just go ahead and give kind of the, the, the statements of all statements this morning. The Trinity is not simple. So it is not simple. If you think about it um, and keep thinking about it kind of across the board, most of reality isn't simple. For instance, every one of the trillions of cells in our body um, is incredibly complex. Even the proteins in those cells are complex. Most of us in this room have a hard time figuring out our, our smartphones. Um, so those are complex. And then if, I don't know if you know this, but relationships are pretty complex. Yet for some reason, in the midst of all the complexities of our world, when it comes to God, we want simple answers. When it comes to God, we don't want to think. When it comes to God, all we hear Jesus say is love the Lord our God with all of our hearts. And we just think emotions and feelings. And we forget that Jesus says with all your heart, soul, mind. Love the Lord with your mind and your strength. We don't want to think about God, but God is calling us to think of him. Think of it like this. Do you really want a God who is less mysterious than your cell phone? No, we, we want a God who is greater than that. And just think about some of the different teachings. The 19th century philosopher Kant once said that the idea of the Trinity has no practical relevance at all. He says, whether we are to worship three or ten persons in the divinity makes no difference in how we live our lives. Yet, of course, we know nothing could be further from the truth. The Athanasian Creed, which was a, another early summary of the Christian doctrine around 4 um, AD, 4 AD, it says... It begins this way, we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity. And then it says this, whoever wishes to be saved must think thus of the Trinity and whoever rejects this faith will perish everlastingly. So this study is therefore of utmost importance for our eternal lives and for our eternal enjoyment of God. In fact, this isn't just an individual issue. This is a corporate issue for us as a faith family. One of the dangers, I think, in every church or that we, every church faces is slipping slowly, quietly, perhaps even unknowingly into a routine where we come into a building like this, we sing songs, we serve people, a sermon is preached, and yet all is done without a deep sense of awareness of the Trinity. The Trinity is at the heart of God's self-revelation. Therefore, it should be at the heart of what we do when we gather together to worship him. So let us this morning with excitement and yet also with some trepidation. And maybe you're thinking, why would we fear what well, I'm fearful about bringing this to you today? Because I don't want to get this wrong. And I, I want to be able to present the God who is worthy of our worship and praise. So let us unpack three truths um, concerning this great doctrine. And like I said, this isn't going to be easy today. Put on your thinking caps. It's going to get a little, a little deep. But just remember time and time again, a God who is small enough to be understood is not big enough to be worshipped. So our God is big enough to be worshipped. So the first truth today is this, the biblical foundation of the Trinity. So we want to look at the biblical foundation. The Trinity is a mystery. That's the, the best word we can use for it. But we can still understand something of its truth. 
And we're going to summarize it in a way that I pray can help you kind of see, see it in a different way. It's, it's kind of meant to bring clarity while continuing to muddy the waters just a little bit. So we're going to look at kind of three little sub-truths here, which just kind of makes sense when we talk about three persons of the Trinity. First is God is three persons. So the God that we serve is three persons. Think about what we just read in Matthew 3. Jesus baptized. He comes out of the water. Here comes the Holy Spirit. And the Father's voice is speaking. We see Jesus. We see the Father. We see the Holy Spirit. All three members of the Trinity are present and all three are doing something different. Going further, think about John 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. So John 1 tells us Jesus was God, but also Jesus was with God, meaning that Jesus is distinct from God the Father. So what do we do with this? We, we do, here's what we do. The fact that the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit are distinct persons means, in other words, that the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is not the Father. Jesus is God, but he is not the Father or the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God, but he is not the Father or the Son. They are different persons. They're not just different ways of us looking at God. They are um, different persons. The Trinity is presented to us as three torches that are burning in one holy, powerful flame. So God is three persons. And then secondly, each person is fully God. So each person is God is fully God. Now the question becomes, if God is three persons, does that mean that each person is just one-third God? Does the Trinity mean that God is divided into three parts? And the answer is, God cannot be divided. The Bible is clear that every member of the Trinity is 100% God. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit are fully God. Scripture is clear on this. Think about it. Galatians 1.3, from God our Father. So he is Father God. John 1.1, 1, 1, the word meaning Jesus was and is God. In Acts 5, when Paul is speaking to, or Peter is speaking to Ananias, Peter says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And then says this, you didn't lie to man, but to God. So the Holy Spirit is God. We must never think of God as a pie cut into three pieces where each piece represents a person. This would be to make God less than who he is, which is we would make him not a God at all. The being of each person is equal to the whole being of God, which again just blows our mind. So Jesus the Son is not one-third being of God. He is all the being of God. God the Father is not one-third of the being of God. He is all of the being of God. The Holy Spirit is not one-third of the being of God. He is all of the being of God. Again, I see some of your minds right now just going, poof. But this is where we need to be. This is where we need to get our minds when it comes to this God. Wayne Grudem um, writes these words. When we speak of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit together, we are not speaking of any greater being than when we speak of the Father alone, the Son alone, or the Holy Spirit alone. Each is eternally, fully, and powerfully God. So God is three persons. Each person is fully God. And then third, there is one God. There is one God from Genesis all the way to Revelation. The Bible 
clearly affirms monotheism. There is only one God. Every morning, the faithful Jew would repeat a prayer known as the Shema. It comes from Deuteronomy 6, 4, where every day they would say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Lord is one. He is one. Think of it like this. Think of Matthew 28, 19. It's a scripture that's pretty familiar to us. It's called the Great um, Commission, the great um, picture of what Jesus gives us as our task to do. And Jesus says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the and the. Oh, good job. So notice the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit are distinguished as distinct persons. We baptize people into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And think about this. Although these three divine persons are distinct, we are to baptize people in the name, singular, and not names, plural. So we baptize in the name, which is one God of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one singular God. And again, many people declare that when we say three and one, it's nothing short of a contradiction, or other people say it's an absolute falsehood. Many say, you simple Christians, how can one plus one plus one equal one? And we say, well, one times one times one equals one. So <laughs> what do you do with that? So Scripture does not ask us to believe a contradiction. A contradiction would be there is one God and there is not one God. Or God is three persons and God is not three persons. That's not what the Bible tells us. This is not a contradiction because God is one. Yet at the same time, or, or, and, or God is one and three at the same time, yet not in the same way. So think about it like this, and here, here, here's the deep stuff here. How is God one? God is one in essence. Well, how is God three? He is three in person. So God is one in essence. He is three in person. Since God is um, one in a different way than he is three, the Trinity is not a contradiction for us. And think, of, think of it like this. Scripture doesn't teach us that God is three persons in one person. Scripture teaches us that God is one being and three persons. Partly because there, is, there are no other examples in our lives of something like this. God's triunity completely blows our minds but it doesn't violate our logic it doesn't make this claim nonsensical as a theologian and apologist norman geisler has explained it while essence is what you are person is who you are so he says therefore god is one what he is one essence and yet he is three who's he is three persons others try to come up with all kind of illustrations that help us kind of get this idea of the Trinity um, in our minds. And sometimes these um, illustrations can be helpful, but sometimes not. I mean, think of it like this. Some have said the doctrine of the Trinity is like an egg. So we hear that a lot. You know, an egg has a, a, a yolk and um, all of these things and a shell and, and three parts, yet one egg. Others say the doctrine of the Trinity is like a three-leaf clover. Three leaves, yet um, one clover. Others say the doctrine of the Trinity is like water um, in three forms. Ice, steam, liquid, 
one substance. My all-time favorite, the Trinity is like three in one shampoo. L love that one. Three activities, one substance. And let me just say this. While, while these illustrations can be somewhat helpful, we should recognize that no illustration is perfect. For the finite cannot perfectly illustrate the infinite. Our finite words can never truly define the infinite God. We just can't do it. And so many of these illustrations can even be downright dangerous. They can take us down dangerous paths where we try to reduce the mystery of God in order to fit it into our reason or our explanation. Be careful when you think you have to explain away God. Be careful when you think, well, that just doesn't make sense to me, therefore that can't be. Again, God's ways are higher than our ways, and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Sometimes we just have to get out of the way and let God be God. I mean, that's the reality. Just get out of the way and let him be God. Someone might say this, well, I'm, I'm one person, yet I have three roles. I'm a son, I'm a brother, I'm a husband. And this reflects the Trinity, and we go, aha. But what we fail to realize is that is a heresy known as modelism. God is not one person who plays three roles. God is one God in three persons. He's not playing three roles. He is three unique persons. Again, explain away the Trinity and you'll lose your mind, but deny the Trinity and you will lose your soul. God is three persons. Each person is fully God. There is one God. This is the biblical foundation of the Trinity. Which leads us to our second truth, which is the eternal revelation of the Trinity. So think about this. God has eternally revealed himself. In John 17, 5, Jesus says and prays to the Father, Father, glorify me with the glory that I had before the world existed. So there was a picture where Jesus is saying something was going on from um, eternity past. Meaning that God has eternally and God has necessarily existed as the Trinity. Meaning... God didn't create us because he needed someone to love. God wasn't without family. God has always been Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Trinity helps us answer this question. What was God doing before um, he created the universe? So think about that question. What was God doing before he created the universe? Now, St. Augustine answers that question this way. He was preparing hell for people who ask such questions. Now, we're not going to go there today. We're going to be a little bit more gracious to answer that, that question. But here's the thing. The Trinity teaches us that before the foundation of the world, God was having fellowship within his own being. Meaning that God did not create us because he needed us. You and I aren't the result of some man-shaped hole in the heart of God. But rather, you and I represent the overflow of the Trinity's love and fellowship within itself. So God was not lonely. God was not bored. God was not incomplete before he created us. God was perfect within himself. God was happy in fellowship with himself. God was loving and had a loving relationship within himself. We do not make up for any lack within the Trinity because there is no lack in the Trinity. Hear this. God created mankind simply because God delights in sharing himself. 
God delights in sharing himself. I love the words of Jonathan Edwards here who says, The ultimate reason that God creates is not to remedy some lack in God, but to extend that perfect internal communication of the triune God's goodness and love. And then he says this, The universe is an explosion of God's glory. And while the the persons of the Trinity are equal in all of their attributes, they nonetheless differ in their relationship to the creation and to all of the activities that took place in accomplishing our salvation. So think of it like this. We see different functions in the work of creation. So God the Father spoke the creative words to bring the universe into being. In the beginning, God. He said, let there be light, and there was. But when we keep reading the word, we read that it was God the Son, the eternal word who carried out the creative decrees. John 1.3 says, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Or Colossians 1.16, for by him, that's Jesus, All things were created. All things were created through him and for him. And then the Holy Spirit was active in a a different way. In Genesis 1-2, we read that he was moving or hovering over the face of the waters. He was apparently sustaining or manifesting God's immediate presence in his creation. It was the whole trinity at the beginning that said, let us make man. And when we get to the Gospels, it was the whole Trinity that said, let us save man. Just follow with me here. We we also see the distinct functions of the Trinity in accomplishing our salvation, meaning our salvation was Trinitarian. Sometimes we think our salvation, Jesus, but no, our salvation involved the whole Trinity. To know God's salvation is to understand God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Look at 1 Peter 1-2. It says, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. So God the Father here. And the sanctification of the Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. All three members of the Trinity at work in our salvation. Is the Trinity practical? Well, let me ask you this question. What kind of salvation does the gospel declare to us? Does the gospel just declare that salvation is a judge who forgives our sins? And this is where we would say, um, not bad, but not good enough. The triune gospel is far better because it says that God the Father, from eternity past, planned our redemption. And he sent his son into the world to live and to die for us, accomplishing our salvation. The son of God became a son of man so that we, sons of men, could become sons and daughters of God. And then God the Father and God the Son sent God the Holy Spirit to dwell in us so that we can experience new life in him. When we, every single one of us in this room, when we were lost in our sin, our God acted in every person of his being to save us. The Father gave the Son. The Son offered himself on the cross. The Holy Spirit brings us to Jesus. Or to put it differently, we were so lost, brothers and sisters, that we needed every member of the Godhead to save us. 
We were so lost that we needed every member of the Godhead to save us. When people are saved, they don't usually notice that something Trinitarian has happened to them. But something Trinitarian has happened to them. And something Trinitarian has happened to us. Where God the Father has planned our salvation, has poured His love on us from the beginning where Jesus died for us. The Holy Spirit draws us, convicts us, seals us. Again, explain away the Trinity, you'll lose your mind. Deny the Trinity and you will lose your soul. Which leads us to the practical. So think about this. The biblical foundation of the Trinity. God is three persons. Each person is fully God. There is one God. The eternal revelation of the Trinity from even the beginning. The Holy Spirit, um, the Son, the, the Father in perfect fellowship with each other. And we are the overflow of that. And then the third truth is this. Our joyful adoration in the Trinity. So this is, our, this is the application. This is the practical implications of the Trinity. The Trinity is of first importance because God is of first importance. Or, put it a different way, the Trinity matters because God forever matters. <laughs> to understand more fully what, what God is like is a way of us honoring God. We want to honor Him by knowing Him. And God has made Himself known to us. So what's the best way we can honor a God who has made Himself known to us? Know Him. Know Him. Seek Him. That's the best way we can honor this God. For we exist to glorify Him, the one in three. Let me just say this this morning. The Trinity should cause us to bow in humble adoration before a God who is greater than our minds could ever comprehend. He's greater than we could ever comprehend. Or to put it this way, our God is worthy of our worship. Which means that God the Father is worthy of our worship. God the Son is worthy of our worship. And God the Holy Spirit is worthy of our worship. They are worthy. In Ephesians 1 verses 3 all the way through 14. Paul praises God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit for their work in salvation. In verse 3, Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. And then says in verse 6, To the praise of His glorious grace. And then in verse 7, he says, In Him, meaning Jesus, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. And then in verse 12, to the praise of his glory. Then verses 13 um, and 14, in him, meaning the Holy Spirit, we were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit until that day. And it says this, why? To the praise of his glory. So Paul tells us again that the reason God saved us was for us to praise his glorious name and we can do it now and we will do it forever and ever and ever. We worship the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit because of what they have done for us and saving us. We worship them because of what they continue to do for us and we worship them because of who they are and forever will be. We worship a triune God who is beyond us, who is above us, and praise God who is within us. Praise the Father. Praise the Son. Praise the Holy Spirit. In his book, Delighting in the Trinity, 
Michael Reeves writes these words. It is only when you grasp what it means for God to be a trinity that you really sense the beauty, the overflowing kindness, the heart-grabbing loveliness of God. If the trinity were something we could shave off of God, we would not be relieving him of some irksome weight. We would be shearing him of precisely what is so delightful about him. For God is triune, and it is as triune that he is so good and so desirable. Think about this. Not only does the Trinity fuel our worship, it also fuels our prayer life. Think about this. We are ultimately praying to God the Father through God the Son. Remember when Jesus died, the veil of the temple was ripped from top to bottom, meaning it was God's doing, not ours, where Jesus made it possible for us to go into the presence of God, and we are praying, of course, in the Spirit. But let me just go a little further. Because God the Father is God, because Jesus is God, because the Holy Spirit is God, we can pray to all three members of the Trinity. There are differing roles that they have. The Holy Spirit convicts of sin. So therefore, when we're praying for our lost loved ones, we can pray to God, the Holy Spirit, to convict them of their sins and to draw them to Jesus. I mean, we can pray. And, and the picture of some people, I know that sounds weird to us. They're God. They're God. Jesus is God. He receives worship. We read prayers to Jesus in the Word of God. We read prayers to the Holy Spirit in God's Word. I guess the best way to put it is this. There is way more happening when we pray than we know. <laughs> way more happening um, when we pray than we know. But let me end this way. The Trinity reveals to us the overflowing love and fellowship of the Godhead that poured out and that overflowed to us. Our triune God desires us to experience a love, to experience a fellowship that we can never know apart from him. At the end of this day, you may consider yourself broken and insignificant. You may be at the end of your rope. You may feel small, dirty, ashamed, filled with guilt, you may even feel lost and empty. But let me just say this. You are loved by a threefold cord of overflowing and mind-blowing love. The love of God the Father, the love of God the Son, the love of God the Holy Spirit. Again, we were so lost that it took every member of the Godhead to save us. Praise the Father. Praise the Son. Praise the Holy Spirit. And praise him forever. May we praise him forever. I'm going to go ahead and ask you to stand. There is no great way to end this by just saying, may our minds be blown in the presence of this God. And may we find ourselves just wanting to know a God who has revealed himself to us. Understanding the beauty of what he has done for us. As Father, as Son, and as the Holy Spirit. I'm going to go ahead and ask the musicians to come forward as we enter into a time of invitation, consecration. And let's pray together. Father, we come before you. We come before you through the work of you, Jesus. 
and coming and giving your life for our sin. And we come before you in you, the Holy Spirit. Oh, Holy Spirit, we thank you for the way that you convict and correct and also for the way that you illuminate and reveal truth to us. How you point us to God the Son. And oh, how you, God the Son, Jesus, how you point us to the Father. And oh, Father, we thank you just for the beauty that you are. Oh God, we thank you for the beauty that you are. In one essence, you are God. Yet in three persons, you are God. Blow our minds today with that reality. Help us to see that you are greater than we could ever imagine. Or like we say a lot, you are, you are too great to ever be defined on a bumper sticker. That's right. <laughs> That's, God, you are too great. And you are too good that you have still revealed yourself to us. God, help us to honor you by seeking you. Help us to honor you by knowing you, desiring you, wanting you. And God, fill our hearts with gladness. As we think about that, God, we were so lost that it took all three members of the Trinity in order to bring us back from death. But God, you did it. By your grace, you did it. And we praise you. Praise the Father. Praise the Son. Praise the Holy Spirit. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.